Hey, Trojan fans, get ready for the Trojan Blast podcast. The Trojan Blast is like our regular hairstyle podcast with a little twist. You can download all of our podcasts 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at hairstylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Trojan Blast podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Hey, welcome to another exciting edition of the Peristyle Podcast. This is our Trojan Blast recruiting edition of the Peristyle Podcast. And we are lucky enough to have uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst, Gerard Martinez joining the show. He is just recently back from the Rivals 100 five-star challenge in Atlanta, Georgia. I was down there with him, getting to check and watch what Gerard does when he's out there observing all these high-profile USC recruits, prospects, commits, all of that. Gerard Martinez joining the show. What's up, sir? How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, back from Atlanta. We uh, left the humidity behind, but it's a little hot out here in the IE, so we do have the heat. But uh, as the California kids found out the hard way in Atlanta, that uh, Southern California just doesn't have the same type of humidity. I know Ryan Abraham was sweating out there in Atlanta, working hard, trying to get some camera action. We had hammer, we had helmet cams, we had uh, you know held uh, held hand cams, we had shoulder cams, we had all kinds of cams. Ryan. You were, uh, you, were, you were the cameraman uh, was, out there in Atlanta, weren't you? I was a cameraman. We played a little football on the field for about 10 minutes at, during lunch on Saturday, and I was sweating so bad. It was so hot. It, it was, was awesome. A, I liked it. I thought it was a, a new experience, and I thought actually in the morning it was pretty cool because it was kind of like cloudy and overcast, but it was still like hot and humid. And um, I thought the California guys were just, uh, they were just being wusses about it, just quite being... frankly. <laughs> All right. Well, before we jump into the camp, we have a question, which – happens to deal with the camp. So let's play this first question for you. Hey, John. This is uh, this message is for John Martinez. If um, you have a question, how do the, um, the UC players uh, do with the five-star challenge? And um, will their status change as a result of the, uh, how, they, how, how they did the five-star challenge? So how did the USC players do – at the five-star challenge. Do I have the question encapsulated right there? Is that, was that, and, is that pretty much And what will they move up or down? That, that's probably the oh. Well, that I can't tell you because I'm not a rankings analyst. But I don't have any kind of uh, say when it comes to that. So I don't know uh, whether they're going to move up or down or not. I really don't care. Um, as far as uh, how they looked, I had eight USC commitments there. And all eight looked good. Uh, California team, in terms of the passing tournament, didn't play very well. It was one of those things where I think, um, you know, they, they, the California team, and this will probably go into some other questions that we get because uh, I made some mention of uh, they played to the stereotype of California players. And the stereotype of California players is, quite frankly, this, that they're soft. A lot of people think that, California players, you know, what they Pat, do during the, the offseason is not actually play football, but they skate, they do surfing, they <laughs> go to the pool, they play volleyball. They do everything but actually play football and love football. So when you go out there and you don't play well or you kind of get, you know, a little taken back by the heat. And I think of California players, you know, in the first session with, you know, all the agility drills they were doing and, and the heat and everything, they kind of were like, whoa, it was a little shell shock for them. And, and obviously the three-hour time difference was a shell shock too. It was a, you know, it was a shell shock to me because it's like, you know, you're getting up at 4 in the morning, our time, and it's 7, you know, in the morning Atlanta time. So everything is kind of bumped up and it takes you a while to kind of get used to that 
time difference and, and you're, you know, by 11 o'clock, you start to come around a little bit, but everything before 11, 1130, you're just kind of like walking dead. Um, so, you know, the California players kind of got down a little bit and they kind of were dragging their feet a little bit and it didn't help them uh, when it came to the, the competition part of, uh, of, of the challenge. And uh, I think that was kind of a little bit of a disappointment. Um, I think some of those kids, they gotta, they gotta understand, you know, when you go out there and you go back East, nobody's expecting you to do anything. You know, I think everybody was expecting the California team to do bad and everybody was kind of going, Oh yeah, they're going to come out here. And these guys are, they're, they're obviously not as physically developed as the kids down South. I think quite frankly, we should have been checking birth certificates because some of those kids down South, I think are just older. (laughs) I think it's just flat out older. I think you're looking at like the difference between Marquise Lee going into college and Marquise Lee right now. Like if he was a South player, he'd be probably coming out of college right or coming out of high school right now and going to college. And you would see how much more physically developed he was. That's kind of like the difference. You look at the California kids and the West coast kids, they're kids. Like you look at them, they're kids still, you know, that you see it in their face. And then you look at some of the kids down South and they're just like, men, you know? And so that, that was a difference too, with, with just, um, you know, seeing the different regions and how they're represented and, and the players there. Um, but more to the point of the question, how did the California kids do? Uh, Chris Hawkins played well, you know, it, it looked like he got beat a couple times deep. Um, you know, I think the, the secondary for the West was kind of at a disadvantage. You had Atari bird playing some safety, Atari Bird's a guy that I feel like should be playing linebacker. Um, he was a little too stiff in the hips to play safety, and it seemed like time and time again he was getting beat. He was a little too shallow, and the ball was getting over his head. And Chris Hawkins, unfortunately, because they were in cover two, uh, ended up being the guy that was trailing on those plays, and it made Chris look bad. He actually had a great play against the Southeast that would have you know, given the West the ball back, and they were beating the Southeast in that first um, game and pool play. And, and then Chris Hawkins ended up getting called for a, just a bogus P.I. penalty, and it gave the Southeast another bunch of downs, and they ended up scoring, and that kind of gave them new life, and they ended up coming back and winning that game. And I think maybe the day goes different if they're able to beat that Southeast team. The, the West team needed some confidence. They needed you know, something to boost them up, something to get them hyped up. And when they lost that game, it was just like, oh, ho-hum, we're going to you know, have a bad day. And, and they kind of, like I said, didn't mentally, I think, were, were strong enough to be able to come back and, and go in and compete and win some games. They ended up going 0-3 in that tournament. Um, I think, you know, Kenny Bigelow was a little underwhelming. Um, he, he didn't, I think, dominate like he, everybody expected him to. I think everybody was looking at him as one of those guys that might be one of the top players in the nation. He didn't play that way. Uh, he played well. He played with flashes. There were things that he did well in one-on-one specifically where you kind of look at him and go, wow, that's a guy that you know is a good 6'3". He's 295 pounds. Don't ask me where somebody got 322 from. That's just inaccurate. 295, really good-looking kid. You know, strapping young lad is basically how you would say and um, and played well, but just didn't dominate, you know, overall like maybe a Carl Lawson did um, that, that, you know, everybody's kind of looking for that guy that just is untouchable as far as one-on-one go. You know, Kenny Bigel wasn't untouchable. He wasn't unstoppable. He had some really good reps, and then he had some okay reps. And I think that was the thing that got him and, and why people maybe weren't as excited and talking really well about him. They were more critical just because the expectations were higher. Um, Kylie Fitz, I thought, was really solid. I think he's a guy that surprised some people. I think people kind of wondered about him. He wasn't really a skilled guy. He wasn't a guy with, you know, that great speed coming off the edge. He's a bigger defensive end. He's more of that kind of blue-collar, uh, strong side defensive end, a guy that's setting the edge. He played really well. He actually played really well in, in, in pass rushing drills, um, showed some great hips uh, in, the, in the bag drills and, and did some things, you know, technically that I think a lot of people really didn't think he could do and was maybe a little bit of a surprise at the event. Max Brown was touch and go. Max Brown was really good when they had one-on-one drills and they were thrown to the, to the receivers. He was putting great ball placement. You know, he didn't complete every pass, but, you know, some of the, 
some of the passes he was completing were really, really difficult passes um, in terms of kind of ball placement. You saw with him really adjusting kind of how the ball was delivered to those receivers, and it seemed like he was working on some things you know, by himself, and it wasn't so much about, you know, can I just complete this pass? It was more like, you know, I want to I want to kind of take this to another level, and instead of just throwing this ball downfield on a line, I want to kind of put a little bit of a teardrop on it and throw it and jump it, just get it dropping down right from the sky, right into the, the, the arms of the receiver, and he was kind of adjusting his grip and kind of doing some different things that you don't see with a lot of quarterbacks. He was really the best quarterback there. People are going to say, well, you know, he didn't play really well in 7-on-7, seven seven, but 7-on-7, seven seven, there's a lot of different intangibles going on with that, and, and some of it's just, you know, what the receivers are doing. The West team didn't have a tight end. They didn't have a receiver that was really over six foot, so that kind of helped. Uh, that really helped a lot of the other quarterbacks on the other teams that had those big guys that they could just throw to um, as a as a dump off, as an outlet. And really, the West team didn't have that. So that kind of hurt Max. And he forced a couple balls. He had a couple interceptions where he was just kind of trying to force some passes. He didn't need to do that. Um, but I thought he actually played well and still the best quarterback in the country, in my estimation. I don't think anybody there was really close, um, despite you know what uh, inaccuracies or the inefficiency he had actually during the uh, 7-on-7 play. Um, Justin Davis played really well not really in his element as far as the passing goes uh, they didn't actually have any rushing that I saw I don't know if you saw Ryan any actual one-on-one drills with the the linebackers pass rushing because that's kind of something that Justin Davis really steps up and, and does really well is actually pass protection yeah and didn't they didn't really do didn't that, one-on-one. Do I, didn't that. Yeah, they, I mean he just they had they had a few running drills where he ran through bags and stuff and mostly pass catching but it wasn't really they didn't feature the linebackers and the the running backs all that much yeah, so it was kind of hard to see. I mean, I think if there's one critique about Justin Davis is that he's got to become better at catching the ball over his shoulder. You know, he had a couple opportunities, just where throws were on, on the money, and but he had to kind of situate, situate himself and adjust to the ball in midair and kind of get it over his shoulder, and he dropped those passes consistently. It seemed like when the ball was out in front of him, he was able to catch it with his hands. He did a good job of that. He uh, actually surprised, I think, a lot of people with his moves in the open field. He jukes a couple guys pretty good in this event. And I think the one thing to point out about Justin Davis he, and this is, again, going back to the whole Southeast kids, the more mature, more developed, more peaked kids physically coming out of high school than the West kids. You know, Justin Davis was the tallest running back there, uh, was, was really um, the leanest and, and the least developed as well. And it's kind of funny because I mean, he's a guy who's six foot, 200 pounds. He's a good-looking kid. He's, he's muscular. But compared to a guy like Greg Bryant, who, you know, his calves are as big as my neck, you're just looking at the guy and go, wow, that guy's just jacked. He's been in the weight room his whole life. I think, you know, he came out of the crib basically on bench press. So you're, you're, you're looking at guys and you're just trying to compare them and you look at Justin Davis and Justin Davis has, you know, probably 20 pounds that he can put on that, uh, that you haven't seen the finished version of Justin Davis. Whereas some of these other running backs we're watching, these guys, I think you're looking at guys and they played really well and they played, played better than Justin at this event, but you're talking about potential and ceiling, I think Justin's going to, you know, surpass those guys in a couple of years. That's really what the West team, I think with, with West Coast players in general, I talk about it with offensive linemen all the time. You know, you're looking at a guy who's like, you know, Chad Wheeler, perfect example, 6'5", you know, like 255 pounds coming out of high school. That guy's going to end up being 285, 290. It's just a matter of him actually getting that weight in college and developing in college, whereas, you know, a guy, his equivalent in the Southeast is already 290. He's already that guy coming out of high school. But you're not going to see much more from him in that four years in the college. Um, Sebastian LaRue, uh, the other receiver they had, you know, USC had all three committed receivers there, Sebastian LaRue, Eldridge Massington, Stephen Mitchell. Um, Sebastian LaRue was, was good. 
He showed flashes. He kind of he got knocked around a little bit, got a little gash on his uh, forehead first day in one-on-one drills and kind of mailed it in after that. Um, you know, second day he was a little frustrated, I think, with you know his teammates and just kind of the way they were playing. He's real competitive, and uh, I think he felt like they, they could have done more. Um, but uh, but he, he had flashes. He had a couple of nice catches there in the end zone. He had a couple of touchdown catches, which were nice. Eldridge Massington, I was really more disappointed in how the Southwest team used Elders Massington than I was with Elders Massington. They had him running a bunch of in routes. They had him running a bunch of curls. They really didn't stretch the field with him, and this is a guy that's 10-5-2. I think that's just on the coaches and the trainers that were there. They didn't understand that he was the fastest guy on the field. You need to use him vertically. They're using Ricky Jones-Seals on post routes, and Ricky Jones-Seals is just not that fast. He's a guy that looks more like he's going to be a tight end in college. So, you know, Elders Massington is the guy that you want to get vertical, and we didn't see that very much from him. So it was one of those things that, in terms of how he played, it was kind of hard because I think he wasn't being used properly in the scheme that they were using. Um, and one-on-ones, he played all, all right. His choice – I think of routes was a little questionable. Um, he's got to tighten up on his routes, and he was trying to run some more complicated routes. And, again, his game is vertical. I mean, he's got speed. He's got some good size. Uh, he needs to use that height and use that ability to get north and south. And, finally, Stephen Mitchell, I thought was probably the best player of the West. I think consistently he, he had the biggest plays. He had some really big circus catches. Most of the time, his big catches were what actually led to West scores. Um, he, he played really well. I think he's a, a guy that's clutch. I think he's a guy that's physical. Um, and, and really, you know, you're looking at a kid that, that's pretty worn out from just camps and passing leagues at this point. Um, he came there and he's had some quad issues. He had some quad issues even going in the USC camp. So we're not looking at 100% Stephen Mitchell, but he still played really well throughout. So that's kind of the synopsis, a quick rundown of, of all the SC commits that were there. There was a lot of commits there. Um, it was kind of a big deal. Everybody kept talking about it, and uh, it should lead to maybe some more commitments. I think USC is going to get some more guys that were at the Rivals five-star challenge. Uh, you said quick wrap-up. I don't think that was quite quick. We don't have any time for questions anymore, Gerard. Man, we're, we're done. Okay. All right. Well, good night. <laughs> I appreciate everything. Just kidding. You well, do. you did answer uh, – <laughs> you did answer Pat's question in there. He had the uh, California stereotype one. Uh, we'll keep the questions from the five-star ones. We'll do those up first. J.D. from D.C., says, I know you're a cornerback connoisseur. Assume you got a chance to see all the cornerbacks in Atlanta this weekend. Where would you rank Jalen Ramsey in relation to Hardgraves, Alexander, and Willis? Number one, um, I think, uh, you know, I like McKenzie Alexander a lot. I've only seen him once in person. I, I think that it would be, number one would be between Jalen Ramsey and McKenzie Alexander. Uh, Jalen Ramsey at the Rising Stars camp. Uh, they test him a little more deep. You know, they used Eldridge Massington. USC coaches obviously know about Eldridge Massington and what he can do. And they used him properly and got him north and south. And uh, that gave, evidently, from what we hear, Jalen Ramsey a little trouble at the Rising Stars camp Tuesday. So that's um, something that I would have liked to see a little more. You know, but he, at the five-star challenge, was dominant. I mean, he was the best defensive back there. He's six foot, 190 pounds, high cut, long arms. Fast recovery speed. I think the best thing about him is just he's real springy off his back step. I mean, he gets into his back pedal, and when he plants, he gets back up and breaks on the ball really, really well. Um, his vision, you know, I think he probably could just work a little bit on that and, and kind of understanding the routes a little more. He kind of bit on a couple routes because he was a little too aggressive. Um, he kind of has to know what the receivers are trying to do a little better, but that's all teaching. That's all going to come with time. Physically, he was dominant and probably the best cornerback there. I think, you know, McKenzie Alexander wasn't at the event, either was Hargraves. I haven't seen Hargraves, but, you know, Hargraves is, is, is 5'9 and 5'10-ish, you know, and that's probably being pretty, pretty, uh, pretty, um, 
pretty nice as far as how tall he really is. Um, and so I think with McKinley Alexander, I think he's a guy that's got the legitimate six foot. He's a really, really good cornerback. You know, watching him at the Army All-American Combine, he was fantastic. And so I, I'm, I'm hesitant to just anoint anybody beyond what I saw with him. Um, I'd like to see those guys, you know, at the same camp maybe and see him head to head a little bit. Uh, but I think, you know, that's really where the top – of those of, of the defensive back uh, recruiting board is with USC. I think it's definitely Ramsey, and then I think it's Alexander, and I think you kind of have everybody else um, on that board. All right. Uh, well, you mentioned uh, Eldridge Massington uh, a couple times already. John at San Jose said he hadn't heard much about him since his fast commitment early in the process. USC's been burned a few times in the past with early verbals from out-of-state commitments, Adams, Jeffrey, etc. Just wondering how solid is he. I could be wrong, but I don't remember him even taking a visit before his commitment. Thanks for your time, guys. Love the work you do and fight on. That's, again, John in San Jose. True enough, John. He did not take an uh, unofficial visit before he committed to USC, and that's always kind of a little bit of a sketchy thing. You know, uh, Alston Jeffrey did that, and then he came out afterwards, and obviously USC wasn't able to get Alston Jeffrey. Um, you know, he says he's very solid, and, and the one thing I think actions speak louder than words when it comes to that stuff, and Eldridge the whole weekend was hanging out with the USC kids. I mean, he really did. And he really, I think, just from a personality standpoint, seems to be – of that ilk, I think disposition-wise, he kind of relates well to those guys. He's a younger guy too. You look at him, and that's not a not a, not a guy that you go, oh well, he could be you know twenty, twenty-one years old. Some of these kids that we saw down there at the Five Star Challenge, just like older guys, they look like they were college guys, and not just in terms of how they handled themselves uh, personality-wise, but just their looks and just a lot of different things. You know, you just you meet somebody and you kind of think something immediately. You have that first impression. And with him, I think he's a younger guy. I think he related well with the with the USC kids. You were all kind of just younger kids. They look like they have, you know, their better days in football ahead of them. Um, and he talked, you know, a lot about USC and, 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 and said he's very solid. You know, I asked him about Texas a few times when I was down there. And, you know, one of the last things I asked him, I said, you know, what, what is Marvin Sanders, who, who recruited him out of Texas, I said, what is Marvin Sanders going to have to do to keep you committed to USC? Because, you know, Texas lost Ricky Seals-Jones. What, you know, they're going to, they, they already were kind of recruiting you a little bit when USC offered if they come back after you hard, you know, with the in-state pressure and the influences and everything, you know, what what's going to go transpire there? And he uh, he said, you know, he doesn't have to work hard at all. <laughs> he does, he says I'm all USC. He doesn't work have, have to work hard at all to keep me away from Texas. And seemed pretty sincere about it. But like I said, actions speak louder than words. And I think just watching him around the USC recruits and and how he got along with guys like Max Brown and and um, and and Stephen Mitchell and and Bigelow and those guys, it just seems like he got along really well with them. So um, from 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 that standpoint, I mean, I think he's pretty solid. And and obviously, I already gave a synopsis of how he played at the at the challenge, so I won't regurgitate that again. Right. And if if you want to talk about actions, uh, you know, I was at the airport with him on Sunday night. He was flying back to Texas uh, and had to get up at like six in the morning or something after you know working his butt off the whole weekend in Atlanta to fly to, to Los Angeles for the Rising Stars camp. So he didn't bail on that. He, he did all that. So I think those are some pretty good actions there, and uh, we'll see more. There, definitely see more from him. I saw him. He was watching USC throwing, Matt Barkley and crew, uh, Tuesday morning at the early morning throwing session. So before the camp, he got there early to watch uh, you know, his future teammates out there uh, throwing the football around. So there's some actions there. Um, his cohort, I guess, uh, at the camp, uh, Sebastian LaRue, the four-star wide receiver out of Santa Monica High School, 
uh, actually committed while we were down in Atlanta. And Gerard, you broke that story. We had a bunch of questions come up from that. Uh, Melvin, JD in DC, uh, Mike all had questions on LaRue because it was kind of, that people were kind of curious, like uh, not really expecting a third uh, receiver to be accepted in this class. And uh, Mike went on to say the announcement, LaRue has really clouded the direction the staff is taking. In my opinion, he says, I think they want versatility, but begs the question, how do you cover your needs in regards to defensive tackles, offensive tackles, even a potential need at QB when there's athletes like Willis, Redfield, Goodman, Hutchings, Robinson, Twins still on the table. So a lot of people were writing in Gerard questioning, is this the guy that USC should have went after? Well, I'm, obviously they feel like he is the guy that they should have gone after. I mean, it was one of those things that they took his, they gave him an offer after he ended up doing the uh, skills camp. And so he performed for that offer. And that's something that, you know, you, you like to see those guys who come to the camp and they actually perform and earn an offer. Um, it tends to have a little more weight. You, you see that the coaching staff, they saw something in him that they wanted and they felt that was valuable and had him commit. Now he's, he's versatile. And so there is that possibility that he ends up playing cornerback. And then when you talk about need, USC obviously needs some cornerbacks and they need some, some quality at that position. Um, you know, they're going to have, uh, you know, Kevon Seymour coming in next year, um, but, but they need some more depth at that position. And I think they need some bodies at the position. And it looks like they're going to take three defensive back, or five defensive backs, three cornerbacks, two safeties. Those safeties obviously would be Max Redfield and Sue Cravens, I think are the two guys that are top of the board. They've only got Cravens committed. So you're looking at the three corners. You've got Chris Hawkins committed. Um, you know, Jalen Ramsey looks pretty good for USC. Priest Willis is floating around out there. And then you have Sebastian LaRue, who's a possibility. He's a guy that actually at the camp, you know, one of the things he did that I heard was very impressive to the, to the onlookers and the observers that were at the camp was that he locked down Stephen Mitchell, who also got an offer at the camp from USC and earned it by, you know, his performance there as a receiver. So you're looking at a guy that can play both ways. He can do some things on special teams. USC just liked his competitive nature. I think they liked that he went out there and he competed, and he competed on both sides of the ball, and they felt like there was a lot of value in that. So you kind of have to put an asterisk a little bit, you know, to Sebastian LaRue and, and where he can play and the things he can do. Um, he is versatile, and I think he's a guy that, you know, could end up maybe playing on either side of the football. So um, maybe he's a third receiver. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's a third cornerback. He's just it's, it's hard to kind of say right now with um, the direction of things. I think, obviously, with, uh, with how USC continues to recruit their defensive backs, that's going to be a little more of a telltale sign as to what they really want to do. If, if they, they end up with five and, and LaRue's one of those guys, then you kind of think, okay, you know, they might be looking at more as a corner. But they end up getting six guys, and you go, well, no, nope, that's really five, and LaRue's going to be playing slot receiver. So we kind of have to see how that goes with uh, just the development of the, of the process and, and seeing who else adds to this class. Okay, and uh, there's a question on the Rising Stars camp, which started on Tuesday and is continuing on Wednesday. Pat wanted to know, there was some confusion on uh, whether Khalil Rogers, who we also saw uh, we saw down in Atlanta, is coming out for the Rising Stars camp. Uh, he said that he was and he wasn't. Can you straighten out what's going on with uh, Khalil Rogers uh, and going to the Rising Stars camp? I don't know. Um, I don't know if he actually made the Rising Stars camp. We can't be there in person, so we can't tell you whether he's there or not. Um, I've checked in with some people. I haven't heard back yet. So I don't know if he's there. Uh, it, it was kind of an odd thing where – it was a last-minute deal. Evidently, his coach called him. Um, was it Sunday? Yeah, Sunday morning, and said that uh, he had to take some more summer school classes, and um, and that he would have to cancel his trip to to USC, which was already paid for. So he was, you know, not happy about that, and and had spent money on 
going out to Los Angeles. So um, that was, you know, kind of an issue. But it was just something that evidently was was important, and obviously school has to come first. You have to be able to qualify before you can go to commit to a school. Um, so I, I don't know 100% sure what's gone on with him and if he's actually attended the camp. I haven't heard about him specifically yet. Um, there hasn't been anything, you know, said about him from anybody that uh, that I know was at the camp that, that talked about good players and guys that were standing out. His name didn't come up, uh, but that doesn't mean he wasn't there. So I, I'll have to double-check on it, but at this point I don't know. Well, check out the Peristyle. We'll have some updates there. Um, Daniel in the OC, does USC have any interest in Mike Mitchell or Alex? Uh, Is it Anzalone or Anzalone? It's Anzalone. Anzalone. Okay, as a second uh, linebacker or a consolation prize if Hutchins goes to UW. Uh, not really. I mean, I think Anzalone, you know, he came out unofficially and looked at USC, and USC was recruiting him. Then he turned around and committed to Ohio State. Now he's decommitted from Ohio State and opened up things again, but USC hasn't been a school that he's mentioned very much. He hasn't really mentioned any West Coast schools, which kind of tells you that he wants to stay closer to home. Um, with Mitchell, I don't know if he even has really a scholarship offer. He's kind of one of those guys that, at, a, at a, uh, a TAP school. I think it's a, a private school in Texas that all of a sudden claims a scholarship offer. and that, Those tend to not be legitimate offers. We see that every year. It seems like there's a couple kids from – um, one of the Christian schools in Dallas that claims a USC offer, and USC really doesn't recruit him. I haven't really double-checked on that one, but I saw it pop up, and I kind of questioned it at face value. Um, in terms of linebacker right now, uh, Hutchings is still a guy. You know, we're going to see what happens here at Rising Stars Camp. We're going to see, you know, how he performs. And, you know, you got you know these offers right now, they are, they are offers that are not necessarily set in stone. USC has limited scholarship offers. They can't go and just, you know, offer somebody and then they don't play well and decide, oh, well, we're, just, we're going to stick with them because, you know, we, we want to offer, we want to honor that verbal offer um, just because it, it's just like with the recruits, you know, some of these guys, they see something better and, and, and they're committed and they decide to decommit. Well, you know, it's a two-way street now. I mean, the colleges are doing the same thing. They're going, well, if you're not on board and you're not solid, then, you know, we, we're not going to be solid and we're going to look around too. And uh, from a performance standpoint, you know, these camps, I mean, they want these camps, these kids to come into the camp for a reason. They got to go out there and they got to perform. They got to earn those scholarship offers and show that, you know, they have the talent and the attributes and the things off the field that USC coveted or at least thought that they wanted when they offered the scholarships originally. So we'll see what happens. You know, uh, Hutchie's going to commit uh, July 1st. You know, as of right now, it looks, you know, good for USC. Um, just, you know, and unless something changes and something happens at Rising Stars, that would, you know, be the thing that may, you know, change uh, his future and kind of what's going on with him. Um, but, uh, you know, consolation prizes, obviously I think the one thing floating out there is, is the Robinson Twins. That's kind of a weird, complicated issue just because, you know, you kind of have to recoup both those guys. You're looking at Sebastian LaRue, maybe he's that third receiver. You can't bring in a fourth receiver, and Tyree Robinson would probably be uh, a receiver if they were to recruit him. And then you've got Tyrell Robinson, who's the linebacker. They're tremendous talents, but it's just one of those things that if USC's only got 18 scholarships, those are the guys that are going to be left out um, unless you know something kind of changes or, like I said, something goes on with Hutchings or something goes on with another one of those receivers. And it can. I mean, you know, I, I know there's everything – getting hyped up right now and it's you know a great recruiting class but i mean we're in june and and everything when we get into november and we get into december things start to change and the season ends 
kids start to get kind of, you know, that, that itchy feel like, oh, I want to go and look at some other schools. And these coaches start calling them. It's like, you know, I kind of like the recruiting process. I want to start it up again. I miss it. I miss all the attention. And then you see guys take visits, and all of a sudden, you know, we hit a reset button by the time we get to the Army All-American game, and all hell breaks loose. And every year, I mean, it's every year it's the same thing. So right now, these things, you know, everything looks set to be a certain way. Um, it may not be that way. You know, there may be guys that are committed that end up not being a part of this class. There may be guys that are not even on the radar that end up being a part of this class. It can all change. Um, right now, we only have a vague idea. USC is recruiting very well. They're going to have a top class regardless. But, you know, who's actually a part of it and, and the numbers game, you know, how many linemen they're taking as opposed to how many defensive backs they're taking. You know, I, I think those those numbers, they can they can kind of change a little bit depending on, you know, who ends up committing and, and kind of the timetable of things and, and how they play out. So, uh, you know, I, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know exactly how it's going to play out. But it's definitely there's possibilities for, for a lot of change. David San Clemente wanted to know the details on uh, what Hutchings was going to announce. Do you know any details on that? No details of it yet. I mean, just uh, it's July 1st right now, and, um, you know, he looks like he's, he's ready to get the, the, the recruiting process over. Um, you know, he's been to some unofficial visits. Uh, you know, he went to Washington, and he went to a couple other schools, and, you know, USC still seems like it's the school to be. He's down there uh, at the Rising Stars camp. He did not perform first day. He will perform Wednesday and actually Tuesday. I think he got down a little late, but he was hanging out with Pat Hayden and Heritage Hall, from what I understand. So he was getting the full cold press. You know, the coaches were talking to him and, and definitely loving, up, loving him up a lot. So, you know, we'll see uh, what kind of reviews we get from his performance uh, Wednesday. Okay. Uh, Stephen Poway wanted to know if there's a T. Shepard update, and he thought maybe he could even play uh, running back. Wow, that's a T. Shepard, man. That's a, I haven't heard about T. Shepard for a while. It seems that that, that whole thing is coming on. Um, it does not appear USC is going to recruit T. Shepard. Um, I haven't really heard anything about T. Shepard in a long time. That's why we haven't talked about it. But I would be pretty surprised at this point, especially, you know, with uh, where USC stands with some of these guys in the 2013 class at corner. I just don't see why T. Shepard would be a guy that they would go after. Um, but I just, no, I haven't really heard much about him. The last thing came up that, you know, maybe he was looking to go to Fresno State, and he denied that. So, um, yeah, I did not, not much as in regard to USC, and that would probably mean that USC is not really interested in me more. Okay. Uh, let's see. Zach in San Diego, who's a senior. Can you tell how tired I am here? I'm, I'm struggling, man. This it's jet tough. lag. I'm just trying to. I'm sleeping at weird times. Like I take naps and I wake up and I'm, I have not had like a good solid night's sleep yet. So I apologize if I seem just kind of running out of gas with some of these questions. You do a great. <laughs> After answering yeah. that first question with all the USC commits, I think I. I think I. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get a second wind here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was like a 15 minute answer. So I can understand you need a second wind. <laughs> uh, Zach in San Diego, who's a senior at USC, thinks that Gerald Bowman is very underrated. He wants to know who the elite JC guys this year, who are the elite JC guys from this year? And does SC have a good shot at having any of them come in and make an impact right away, especially on the defensive line? Man, you know, defensive line would be the only position that I could see USC really recruiting a JC player at. Um, there haven't been very many names that have popped up, and I think really the biggest issue with that is that they don't need to have an early enrollee JC guy in this class. They have three openings for early enrollees, and that will be covered by the high school recruits. Um, they have more than enough. They have some redundancy. I think they have five guys right now that are lined up to be early enrollees. 
So they don't really need to go after that JC guy to be able to get him in early and, and, and do that. And really they've been burned the past couple of years with Juco recruits and trying to get those guys um, out in December. And I, I think maybe to some extent the coaching staff is just kind of over it, you know, trying to recruit those guys and trying to get them in in January because it just hasn't happened. Um, but defensive tackle would be the one position where you would think maybe there's a possibility, you know, you try to get a guy that can, you know, be he's developed and, and he's physically able to just come in right away and play. But truth be told, there hasn't been too many names that have popped up. I mean, Toby Johnson was a guy that, that came up and, and claimed an offer early, and he's out of uh, Kansas. He's a Jayhawk League guy, um, you know, 6'4", 280, but really haven't heard a whole lot about him lately and, and USC's interest in him. That's one of those things that I think will develop as time goes on as we get into the season and maybe there's an official visit and maybe USC sneaks a guy in or something. But at this point, it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of names out there and I'm not really hearing anybody that USC's really excited about. It looks like this class is going to be a high school class for sure. And um, and you could kind of see why. I mean, you know, looking at the Rising Stars camp, they've got some good players there. You've got Kenny Bigelow committed. You know, even though he's a guy that I think didn't necessarily meet people's expectations, those expectations were really high. He's still a really good player. USC still really needs to sign him and hold on to him and have him as a three technique. Um, you had a guy like uh, Kenneth Clark who came into the Rising Stars camp first day and, from what I understand, had a great camp. I think he's a guy that's definitely a USC offer level player. Um, a guy that could play next to Bigelow, and that would be a great combo. I think that would be a great one-two punch of those two players. Um, you've got Kylie Fitz already committed. He could play strong side defensive end, or he could bump into being a three technique. Another big kid, you know, 265, 270 pounds, 6'4 kid. He's got a great motor. He's smart. He's another guy that's going to be early rolling, or at least he's on track to be. Um, and then you're just really looking at, okay, who would be the, the, the weak side defensive end? You know, who's that guy that they can bring in that could be a weak side defensive end? Jason Hatcher who's uh, from Louisville, Kentucky, a guy that we haven't really talked about very much on the podcast, a guy that I really don't know much about, but is actually out here for the Rising Stars camp uh, for both days, coming out from Kentucky. You know, USC had some success in Kentucky getting Lamar Dawson. Maybe this is a guy that they're able to get, be a weak side guy uh, that can rush from that legal position. He's 6'2", 240 pounds, um, you know, pretty explosive, great quick, quick step. Um, possibility you know there's a guy there I, th- I think that's the one question is there's not a ton of guys out there that are those um those weak side rushers and that's what USC's really going to have to try to find um so you know is that a JC guy probably not it, it, that tends to be you know I think the defensive tackles tend to be the guys that USC concentrates with Jukos um so I I don't yeah I, I think with junior college right now just doesn't seem to be a priority doesn't seem to be a whole lot of names and when you're trying to get a guy and you and you really want to get a junior college guy just to get a junior college guy because of his maturity and being able to be an immediate impact player, that you're you're usually throwing a bunch of offers out there. You know, you're not just looking to offer that one guy and hope that you get that one guy. So by that logic, I don't see USC really recruiting too many JUCO players and and looking for a guy that actually steps in and plays that position and can uh, be an immediate immediate impact player for them. Okay. Uh, this one's from Melvin, and we're going to give you a break, Gerard. He said, after listening to Coach Hyde pin you down, he's talking about me when uh, Coach Hyde asked me some questions about the uh, five-star challenge uh, on the podcast on Monday. He says, I want to ask Ryan some questions. Okay. Number one, and I'll, I'll answer him, Gerard, and then if you want to like change me or correct me or add anything at the end, you can do that. Uh, number one, after your visit to the camp in Atlanta, was there a player or players who really stood out above and beyond the great players there, not counting the USC commits, uh, regardless of position, whether USC has a chance at them or not? And my role there, I was really doing a lot of footage. I mean, I shot, I think, about four or 500 clips 
of prospects, and I mostly concentrated on the USC commits and then, uh, you know, USC targets. So I, it's probably, you know, this is probably definitely a better Gerard question, but of the guys I was looking at, Jalen Ramsey that Gerard already mentioned certainly stood out there, and we're going to have some isolation footage of him and uh, in the championship game of the, the seven-on-seven. Seven, uh, he had I focused on him, and he had two really nice interceptions. One was tipped, and one was just really nice where he ran the route for him. So I, w- I would answer him, and I'll let Gerard add to this after we finish these other two. Um, number two was USC has committed a number of positions except offensive line and linebacker. Were there any standouts at these positions that you would fit at USC? And yeah, I mean, I think I, I do like Khalil Rogers a lot, and I thought he would do he would do a good job at USC. Um, he would be there. We'll see if he gets an offer sometime soon. And the, the linebackers, the, the the most ones I looked at were a couple of guys uh, that we've seen that are 2014 kids that both look like they could uh, grow into the USC linebackers. Uh, the kid out of Sarah. Uh, what's his name? What's it, Williams? What's what's his Dwight fr- Williams? What's his first Dwight name? Williams. What, his first name is Dwight. Dwight Williams. Williams. Yes, I'm sorry. So Dwight Williams. So uh, yeah, I got to talk to him a while. He's a really nice kid. And uh, Jamadre Cobb out of a Salesian. Uh, uh, Salesian. I'm like, why am I like blank on the high school name? So both those guys are 2014. Dude, it sounds like the, the jet lag is getting me too. It's now. getting to me too. Yeah, but the 2014 <laughs> linebackers. They were actually starting linebackers for. The, uh, the West, so they had some underclassmen linebackers starting out for them. Uh, so those are a couple of guys we looked at. And then he said, do you think guys like Michael Hutchins, Nico Fala, the Robinson twins, Sean Harlow, could hang with those guys in Atlanta? And yeah, I certainly do. Um, I think at least a couple of those guys were invited. And you know, I think the Robinson twins are certainly athletic enough. Um, there were some underclassmen that you could see that, that, that worked well. I think, you, you know, Sean Harlow could mo- work with those guys in that mix. So certainly I think those guys are talented enough to, to hang there. We'll see next year. I mean, there was a pretty high percentage of guys that were in the rivals 100 that attended that camp. And I think the second year, it's probably going to be even better. So it's, I think it's going to be even more elite than what we've seen this last year. It was pretty elite from what we saw, but what, what are your thoughts on those Gerard? Well, I think, you know, just looking outside of the box of the SC guys that were there, I mean, the best player at the camp uh, was Carl Lawson uh, by far. You know, 6'2", 270-pound defensive end uh, from Georgia, committed to Auburn, was clearly the most explosive, most aggressive. He was probably the most powerful uh, defensive lineman at the camp. And that included a, a really an NFL type of, you know, probably eight-man rotation as far as, you know, the top guys at the camp on the defensive line. Um, I mean, you had Deshaun Hand, you had Dean Liner, you had – Kenny Bigelow, you had uh, you know Lawson, you you had uh, Andrew Brown, uh, Malik McDowell, who was a heck of a looking kid. He's a 2014 kid. Just it was it was there was a lot of very impressive guys. I mean, you know, um, uh, Tarodney uh, uh, Prevo was was one of the defensive ends there, and, and he's a guy that's a weak side defensive end that USC's recruiting, and he's about you know, six three, uh, 210 pounds, and he looked just completely out of place. I mean, he, he, they were messing around there, you know, the defensive linemen, they were, were teasing him and calling him receiver because he just was so, so not even close physically to the majority of the defensive linemen there. I mean, I think the next smallest defensive lineman was probably Jojo Mathis at uh, 240 pounds. Um, everybody else there was like 270, 260, 280, you know, I mean, all the defensive linemen and there are even the defensive ends. So it was one of those things where, um, you know, I think it was a great group and of a great group, Carl Lawson was still able to dominate by a good margin. You know, I think the next best guy just, 
he, he wasn't really that close to Carl Lawson. And, and that's a guy that USC's offered and they've recruited hard. I, I don't see him leaving the South. Um, he may not end up at Auburn, but I don't see him leaving the South. Um, there were some other – there was a lot of great players there, man. I mean, you, you look at – like I said – some of these dudes in the Northeast and some of these guys in the Southeast, and you just look at these guys and they're very developed. And it's just like, wow. I mean, they just, they look good uh, in, uh, in that Under Armour gear running around just, you know, with the shirts and shorts on. And um, so, you know, it's, it's plenty of great players there. Um, but I think Carl Lawson was probably the one guy that uh, kind of did impress the most, um, you know, regardless of whether you're talking about SC guys or not SC guys. Did you think the guys like Hutchins and Fala and the Robinson twins, all, Sean Harlow, could have hung down there? Yeah, I think they would have played all right. Um, Hutchins is not necessarily a camp guy, and so he didn't really do a whole lot at the Nike camp. So I don't know if he would have been that much better um, at this deal that was much more elite than any Nike camps that you're going to go to regionally. I mean, the only thing that can compete with this would be the opening um, in terms of the level of talent that was there. And uh, and you really did have a heavy group of Southeast players. So there were some guys there, I think, that kind of surprised some people how good they were, um, you know, from Georgia and, and from Alabama and some places that you may not get um, even at the opening just because that's kind of a little more, uh, I think, of, a, of you get more West Coast guys there and you're getting, you know, maybe more evenly represented presentation across the board um I, I i i think hutchings would have been okay there i think you know you're probably looking more uh, I, I think that the robinson twins would have definitely been guys that would have surprised a lot of people and would have definitely hung i think athleticism wise you know as receivers a they're big and they're tall and that's what the west team didn't have they needed that b i think as a linebacker um terrell robinson just because he's athletic while he's only you know 100 probably 90 pounds that doesn't matter when passing league. You know, we're not talking about tackling people, so that would actually help. There were some guys there that really um, they would they were better than talent wise uh, that were on the West team. Um, Harlow, that's probably a little bit of a stretch. You know, I, I think um, he's a developing kid. You know, I think he's got some some years ahead of him before he gets into that place where he's going to be a, um, a, a a good college player. He's got he's a little more of a project, so I don't know if he would have been a guy that. Um, would have necessarily made it. Nico Fala would have definitely made it. He's the best, uh, he's the best offensive lineman we've seen on the West Coast thus far, and so I think he would have definitely uh, been in there. I think actually, you know, I think that probably would be a debate between uh, maybe Fala and Casey Tucker, who's the 2014 offensive lineman from uh, Chandler Ham- Hamilton High School, who's about six five and a half, six six, two hundred 275 pounds. He's a really really good looking kid. USC will definitely offer him in the near future. Um, he was. Probably, you know, I, I think a guy you could probably say was maybe the best lineman for the West out there, at least in terms of potential-wise. But I think he and Nico would have probably been the best uh, two offensive linemen for the West Coast. And, and, you know, I have to point out, because a lot of people lost over this fact, while the West wasn't very good in the passing challenge, which is surprising considering you think, you know, West Coast, Pac-12, passing teams, passing offenses – they actually won the lineman competition, yeah. uh, which was kind of odd. And nobody really talked about that very much. But, that you know, not a lot of people were really talking about the linemen there for the West team. And you got guys like John Lopez and, and Elijah Qualls and, and some guys that just weren't, you know, big-name guys. But they ended up winning that event. And that was, uh, that was kind of surprising to a lot of people considering, you know, the size that you know, the Southeast and the Northeast had um, when it came to the, to the linemen there. All right. Well, we, we... – we're running out of time. We'll try to get to a couple more questions. Uh, we'll we'll go rapid fire. Um, well, let's just let's just go back to Atlanta, and then we'll be three hours ahead, so we'll have plenty of time. Then we have more time, yeah. <laughs> I want to try and get at least one from everyone. Some people have some really long ones. But uh, Anthony 
well, I want to talk about the defensive line as well. He said, you know, Vanderdoves is undecided. It looks like Oregon might be ahead of SC. He wants to see USC get a speed weak side defensive end since it looks like Bigelow and Fitz would kind of be strong side three technique types. What about JoJo Mathis, who you mentioned, uh, J. Ron Curse, might look nice as well, and he has SC as his leader. Any other candidates? Um, no, I, I think, you know, J. Ron is a guy that wants to play safety right now. Obviously, looking at the bloodlines, he's a nephew of Javon Curse, so people go, okay, he's a guy that could definitely put on weight and end up being maybe an outside linebacker or defensive end. He's 6'4", 195 right now. Um, his recruitment is going to kind of be all over the place, though. He's already committed twice, and now USC's his leader, and that kind of comes out of nowhere. It's like, why is USC your leader? Because he's got a good relationship with Monty Kiffin, he says. So, I, you know, take that with a great assault. Um, but, it's, you know, possibility down the line, maybe he's a guy that could, you know, develop into being a defensive end, um, you know, in college just because that's, you know, what Javon did. Uh, he was recruited as a safety out of Fort Myers and then ended up being an outside linebacker and ended up being a defensive end. So it's definitely possible just from, you know, his bloodlines. Um, you know, JoJo Mathis, I don't think that USC's in his cards right now. Um, he was going to come down to the Rising Stars camp Wednesday, but he kind of tweaked his knee a little bit in one-on-one Sunday at the uh, five-star challenge. So sounds like he's not going to go to USC camp, and he'd really have to go there and blow people away, I think, at this point for USC to recruit him. I think they're kind of moved on uh, from JoJo Mathis. Uh, we talked a little bit about Rodney Prevo. That's a possibility. I don't get the vibe that he's really going to leave the Big 12, um, just talking to him. You know, USC did make his day Saturday, though, or was it Friday? Yeah, it was Friday, actually, when he came down for registration and he lost his wallet at the airport. And poor kid, I mean, he was, you know, completely distraught over it, which I can understand. I mean, shoot, you lose your wallet and you got everything in there. you got to cancel your card, your ID. It's definitely a nightmare. And, um, and USC ended up, you know, sending some faxes down to the players at the team hotel and just saying, hey, congratulations to being on the five-star. You know, good luck. Uh, can't wait to have you out for Rising Stars. And it kind of made his day. He was really, really pumped up about that. He's like, wow, man, I can't believe they, they actually knew I was here. And, um, you know, this is just kind of a really cool thing that they did that no other schools were doing. But having said that, I still don't know that. I mean, he really hasn't looked at USC very seriously. <laughs> Uh, excuse me. <laughs> to this point, uh, not only jet lag, but probably getting sick as well. So oh, that's hey, I'm going to end it there on that note. I like it. Uh, well, we got one more topic to discuss, and uh, just no bless me or nothing. Thank I, you. I right. said bless you. You didn't hear. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. I was sorry. My ears probably were popping at the the <laughs> the, uh, the sneeze itself. Uh, well, for the record, again, we'll say bless you, Gerard. Um, one last topic I want to get to. This was an interesting email I got from Ben. This uh, is an interesting podcast. It's an interesting podcast, interesting email. <laughs> and, and Gerard pointed out there really wasn't much of a question in it, but uh, I thought it was kind of interesting to see. I don't think Ben is a big uh, Lane Kiffin fan. I'm going to go out on a limb, but uh, I'll read his first paragraph and then kind of summarize the rest. He said, there's a general misconception right now that USC recruiting has made a quantum leap in terms of quality. The, the historical evidence shows that USC is doing in 2012 – what it has done for 10 years and probably before then. The recruiting sections aren't leading to better average recruits or to a more exclusive club. And he gave a, a chart of from 2004 to 2013, the the average grade of the top nine players in, in USC's class and the average grade of the top 15 players, and it's all about uh, the same. And he said that Alabama had a higher rivals grade of their top 15 for 2012 and there's about a half of other universities about the same regard. Um, he said, Kiffin's doing a fine job. However, they're not breaking new ground. Um, it's kind of gone on about that. 
I think if you just look at the top like three players of a class, it's going to be. A, I'm a math guy, so the the fewer players you look at, the the closer those numbers are going to be. And from his chart, it showed pretty much that. And I think the the main numbers you have to look at the entire class is that USC is the only school ever. It wasn't Alabama. It was USC that for their entire class had an average of four stars or higher. And you know, Lane Kiffin was able to do that again. And I I think the distinction here with Lane Kiffin and when I talk about it being more of an exclusive club, I'm not saying that Lane Kiffin's doing something that, that Pete Carroll never could have done or never did, or that Nick Saban or anyone else hasn't done, but no, no one's ever done what Lane Kiffin's done in 2012 and is doing in 2013 because no school has ever had to recruit 10 fewer scholarships. It just hasn't been done. So he is breaking new ground because no one's ever done that before. So what he's doing no one's ever done. And I think what people expected, and if you looked at all the national sports writers and people that were talking about USC is going to get hurt because of the sanctions, because of this, because of that, and it hasn't hurt them. And if you, you could argue that this is going to be a better class than USC's seen ever. I mean, it, it really could be that, even though it's not going to be a big class. It's going to can only be up to 18. Um, it's, it's, it's apples and oranges because we haven't seen this happen before. We haven't seen someone have to recruit and come up with a plan to survive three years of 10 scholarships down. And we've talked about that plan over and over. So far, it looks like it's working well. If USC has a lot of success on the field in 2012, obviously I think that that helps for the, you know, the 2013 and 2014 class. Now already the 2013 class is, is pretty ridiculous and I got to start on 2014. So I, I'm not sure what, I, I don't, I don't know if it's, if you're a defender of Pete Carroll, Ben, and saying that, what Lane Kiffin's doing isn't any different. And I, I wouldn't argue. I mean, Pete Carroll had some amazing recruiting classes. He averaged, I think, three or four of his classes averaged more than a four-star. And obviously, no one's else ever done that at any other school. So that's really impressive. All we're t- saying is now, Lane Kiffin's doing it basically with one hand tied behind his back. And I do think the exclusive club thing is legitimate because I we talked to some of these kids, and they seem to like the fact that it's fewer, there's, you know, fewer rides. There's only a class of 15. They know that they could be part of something special. So that's kind of where I'm coming from when we're talking about that. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Gerard. No, I agree. Totally. Um, I, I mean, I understand the top 15 and looking at it from that standpoint, but did you say top nine, that seems arbitrary to use that number. And you're just kind of trying to use a smaller number to kind of make, an ends to a mean uh, means to an end as far as the, the you know making a point like oh well look at you know it's it's not anything different than what other schools have done and what USC has done in the past. It's the major point is that USC what they did in the past is, is not what they're doing now because of the sanctions. That's the biggest thing. I mean that's the, the big you know the elephant in the room there. It's like yeah sure well they have had good recruiting classes in the past. Definitely they've had. Uh, you know, some national championships when it comes to recruiting. Um, but now they're doing it with the sanctions and they're doing it with, you know, what people were saying when they were going in these sanctions that it was going to take them back 10 years. And that's a decade of football. It's going to take them back 10 years like it did Miami. Well, it hasn't. And that's been a lot because of how it's been planned and how they've set things up and they've gone forward with the strategy and recruiting that they've had. Um, and it's gone – you know, it's more than just about this class. It's been what's set up this class as well. The fact that they have 18 to give and not 15. 
You know, the fact that they had 20 in the last class and the fact that they had 30 before that and just the way it's played out, it's been strategic and it's been done well um, from from just the standpoint of, of playing chess and not checkers. And I think, obviously, the quality of the players that they're having is high. Um, is it higher than, you know, one of the great classes that Pete Carroll had? Well, that's de- just debatable. I mean, you're just going to argue in circles as far as who's better on paper. I mean, that that's not going to be settled until these players go to college and they play through college, and that's going to be years from now. So we're not even going to get into that. But in terms of what ha- is happening on paper, um, it's definitely comparable to some of the great classes that they've had. Um, we'll see what happens on signing day and what it actually ends up being because the season is going to affect that. You know, that's the one big thing. I said it earlier. We're in June. A lot can change. A lot is probably going to change. Things are going to, you know, shake and guys are going to move and there could be guys that are in this class that, you know, you're not really talking about at this point. There could be guys that we think are solid that end up not being in this class. I mean, it just happens. Um, you know, look at uh, Piova Atuve. I mean, at this point he was committed to USC and was all USC and he ends up going to Washington because Tosh Lapoy leaves Cal and goes to Washington. I mean, you never really would have saw that necessarily coming um, at the uh, at this point last year. So, there's things that can change, and the, really the big difference is the season and, and what happens and coaching hirings and coaching firings and things like that. Um, but on paper, the way it looks right now, it's definitely a class, and it is a special class. It is different than what Pete Carroll has done because of the circumstances in which it's been done. So, um, you know, making, okay, well, let's just look at the f- top five players from the last ten years or the top six players or whatever makes the numbers look good. I think that's just you're just trying to skew, you know, things to make the statistics look the way you want them to look. I think at the end of the day you just have to look at the end product of the whole class and compare it that way. And um, when it comes to signing day, we'll be able to do that Right now we're projecting, and this projects to be one of the best classes that USC's ever had, and they're doing it because they're doing it with sanctions, which is definitely totally unique, and it makes it uh, just makes the situation different. Yeah, all right. Uh, well, hopefully that addressed everything. Ben, you can email me again if you have any other questions. Uh, sorry, we're going to skip some of the rest of these. Uh, there's some that were just repeats that we've answered a whole bunch of times about um, – you know, too many people committing and all that, you know, a verbal offer versus scholarship for a written offer. We've, we've answered those like numerous times in previous podcasts. So sorry about that. We did have one question about a, uh, a voicemail. Um, I think it was from the Monterey Valley, a, Car- a kid from Carmel high school. Uh, Devin Pearson, I think his name was, I couldn't find him in the rivals database. And essentially, I mean, if he's not being recruited, if he's not going to these camps and stuff, he could be a great high school player, but doesn't necessarily mean you're a Division One player. So if if he is out there, and you know, maybe, what do you suggest, Gerard? Have him go out to all the camps and kind of prove it against other talent, and then you'll get noticed. And... Yeah, yeah, you got to go out to to a camp and and get yourself on the map. You got to get your highlight tape on YouTube. You got to just you know try to be seen somehow. Um, yeah, Monterey is not a place where you're going to get a lot of traffic from Division One college coaches because those schools up there haven't produced a lot of Division One college talent. So it just goes, you know. It's a pretty logical thing. Um, yeah. Which means you're playing against go, non-Division One talent. So even if you're good, they're, they're not going to see that you're good. So you definitely have to go to camps. and. Yeah, and they'll question your competition level. And, yeah, you, it, it just it's a whole thing. I mean, it's just the, the, the places the college coaches frequent are the places that they find frequent talent. It's just that simple. So 
Um, if they got a honey hole, they're going to keep going to it. But uh, if you're not there and you're not a part of that type of place, you know, a Long Beach Poly or, a, um, you know, Corona, you know, has become a place with, you know, everybody going through Corona to go see schools because all those schools are recruiting or they're, they're producing Division One talent. Um, if you're not in one of those areas, yeah, you've got to be able to get yourself out there, put yourself on the map. And the only way you're going to do that is to show what you have. And you got to go to camps. you got to go to these passing. you got to get yourself on a, uh, you know, a travel team or something and, and just get out there and get your name out there. All right. Well, Gerard, thanks again for uh, coming on the show, answering all the recruiting questions. Man, we just, uh, just, get, a ton, <laughs> we just get tons of them. We get way more recruiting questions than we do about the team. But it's uh, heating up all the maybe, camps. Maybe not as many after this, this blast. This is probably – I think we just put – the stamp on the worst recruiting boss that we've ever done. No, it's not the worst. <laughs> I'm dead tired. So much it just hit me. It hit me last night at this time too. I, I'm trying to get back on the, you know, the, 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 the wheel here, the Pacific time thing going on. See, I can't even say it. It's I'm so tough. Right, tough. right now. I'm so tired. We worked ourselves and ragged. I, I mean, we did over like, you know, five days in Atlanta and then, you know, we're pretty much getting back to it this week with rising stars and B2G in the opening. So it's just, it's not ending anytime soon, so check back here on the podcast. Check on uscfootball.com. Certainly check uscfootball.com because we're putting up five, six stories a day, uh, good stuff, uh, videos and stories and everything that's going on. There's so much information going on. There's good team stuff going on, too. The incoming freshmen from the class of 2012 have been arriving, so we got pictures of those guys, video of those guys. So, I mean, there's a ton going up on the site right now. I mean, just, this is really when you want to subscribe. I mean, this is if you're a real Trojan fan, you're really into the team, you really want to know what is going to happen with this team's future. This is when you really get the most information. I mean, you're not going to, you know, go turn on Fox Sports West and be like, oh, yeah, let me hear about, you know, what's going on at USC because you're not going to see anything. You're going to see, you know, racing from Santa Anita or some crap like that. So you want to go to the Bear style and you're getting, you know, live updates from the Rising Stars camp, even though we can't be there. You know, I'm on the phone all day trying to get, you know, information from sources and people that are actually there observing the camp, people that are credible people that I know, you know, are seeing things and making some good observations that I can pass along to the fans. Um, you're getting crazy amounts of five-star challenge stuff. We haven't even gotten – we haven't gotten halfway through the five-star challenge video and stuff that we have to put Probably up. not. No, I mean, I got so much, so much We stuff. got helmet cams. We got, like I said, shoulder cams and hand cams and – we got gopher cams. We got all kinds of sprinkler cams and everything. We were there. We had that place covered wall to wall with uh, analysis, with stories. We still got stories we're putting up. You know, USC offered a handful of uh, 2000, um, you know, 14 juniors and uh, some 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 players that you're going to be hearing out in the near future who are great players down there at the Five Star Challenge. We have some stories coming up from there. Um, you know, some analysis, and we're going to be on top of Rising Stars. Obviously, you know, it's a two day camp, so we're kind of in the middle of it at this point, but. We'll see if there's any breaking news, anything that comes from Rising Stars, and then we got B2G that we got to do. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's so it's that point in the summer where there's a lot of actual news and a lot of tidbits as to you know how this team is going to be developing in the future, and you know the freshmen are just getting on campus, and uh, you're going to get some great video of those guys and, and how they're progressing and what they're doing, you know, with the with the workouts and and you know how they're kind of meshing with the with the team. You know, that's going to be important. You know, I mean, we saw how you know Marquise Lee and those guys meshed with that team last year it's going to be important to see how Nelson Aguilar and Leonard Williams and um, you know some of the players that they had uh, signed in the last class how they're going to be able to come in and mesh and, and be guys that have to step up you know we only got 75 on the roster these freshmen are going to have to step up and, and play big in some games all right well Gerard thanks again and everyone else thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle podcast we really appreciate you coming on even though both of us are a little jet lagged hopefully you guys uh, 
Got a lot of good information out of it. Thanks again, Gerard. Thank you for letting me sleep. Yes. All right. Get some sleep, Gerard. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back next week with another show on Monday, the regular Peristyle Podcast, and I'm sure we'll be back sometime during the week doing another Trojan Blast. So send in your questions, podcast at uscfootball.com, and we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.